These are healthcare organizations. Their number one mission is to provide healthcare. So when I'm trying to advocate for cyber defenses and they're saying we don't have enough nurses at the bedside, you know, I'm always going to lose that battle. Hello and welcome to our HIMSS podcast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. And today we're talking with Kate Pierce of Fortified Health Security. Kate is the Senior Virtual Information Security Officer and Executive Director of Subsidy. Is that right, Kate? Did I get that right? You got that perfect, Susan. I um, moved to Fortified about five or six months ago um, and took on these new roles. Um, prior to that, I was the CIO and Chief Information Security Officer at North Country Hospital for over 21 years. So you have much experience with this, and I understand you recently testified before the U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs. That's that's correct. I did. Yeah. Can you talk about that? That was about cybersecurity. And what interested me is that you seem to be focused a lot on what rural and smaller hospitals are doing. Well, I was asked to testify by that committee um, to represent the voice of the small and rural uh, facilities, because that's that's where I spent the vast majority of my career. And, I, you know, I lived it and breathed it for a long time. So I really um, understand what their what their struggles are with this topic. And now that I'm with Fortified, I actually have been able to work with many, many smaller rural hospitals across the country. And it seems like the, you know, the perspective I had at her, our hospital is is consistent across across the board with, with folks I've talked with. Um, you talked about the um, working with the rural and smaller hospitals. What are they telling you? What are their challenges? Well, currently, um, rural and small hospitals are are having a hard time coming out of the pandemic. So even prior to the pandemic, they always um, could never get those economies of scale to help keep their their prices. Um, you know, in line with the larger facilities because they just don't see as many patients. So they just don't have as much income uh, there. So it's really difficult for them financially to maintain a strong a strong model there. Um, with the pandemic, um, that's got, gotten even worse. So they have struggled to keep staffing there and had a large number of travelers um, in their facilities, which was really... Um, elevating costs to provide care there. Um, and that they're still struggling with staff, especially cybersecurity staff. It's it's very, very difficult to recruit, you know, well-trained cyber staff um, in those type of local small areas. Um, are the issues then staffing and money for these smaller hospitals and primary hospitals? It yeah. comes down to staffing and money. It's not for lack of wanting to do, uh, you know, to Im- improve their cyber stance. It's just a matter of, you know, can we afford it? And, you know, what priorities do we need um, to position ahead of that? And generally it comes down to, you know, these are healthcare organizations. Their number one mission is to provide healthcare. So when I'm trying to advocate for cyber defenses and they're saying we don't have enough nurses at the bedside, you know, I'm always gonna lose that battle. That must be challenging for you. So you're talking to them about cybersecurity, and they're saying we don't have enough nurses. What can you say to that? I mean, 
to, well, to counteract that and tell them cyber cybersecurity is important, uh, you know, as well as nursing. I think that, you know, there's there's some degree of compromise there. I mean, cybersecurity can be very detrimental to patient safety. I mean, if a small hospital gets attacked, you know, with the larger facilities, if they um, experience a breach or a cyber attack, um, it, they can divert patients because there's other facilities nearby. Well, small organizations don't have that opportunity to divert patients because the next facility could be 45, maybe 60 miles away. So you can't stop providing service. And the ability to continue to provide service during a cyber attack, think of this, your your electronic records are gone, so you don't have any patient information. All of those safety alerts and safety checks are gone. Um, your medical devices are offline now. You have no communications often uh, where their their email is down, their phones even are down many times because um, they use network-based telephony. Um, there, you know, it's just it's a, a litany of issues, and they're having to go back to paper, which, which, in turn, is just it's just a much slower, more complex process with paper because staff aren't used to using paper, and many of those younger staff have never documented on paper. So you create this big, uh, you know, gap in their their ability to provide that high quality care they want to provide. That's incredible. Um, it's good to know that some people don't know paper, but uh, that must be very tough. Are rural and smaller hospitals at less risk of a cyber attack because they are smaller? Because, you know, people going after information maybe tend to target the, the larger health systems, or are they just as subject to, to cybersecurity issues? Um, I would say the opposite is true. These cyber attackers learned, especially in 2022, we saw an increase in attacks against smaller organizations. So what happens is these small, these larger organizations have have really strong cyber defenses in place. So they, not only do, do we know that, so do the attackers know that. And they realize that most small organizations are um, connected um, electronically to larger organizations. So they choose the path of least resistance here, right? They come in through the smaller organizations with the hope that they can expand that out to, into those larger organizations. And, you know, um, it's it's pretty scary out there for small and rural organizations right now. Are a lot of them, Kate, not connected to a larger organization, so they're on their own financially with these things? Oh, even if they're they're on their own financially, you know, and I and I can't speak to the statistics of how many smaller hospitals are part of a larger organization or not. I'm not really aware of that. But even even if they're not connected to them financially, um, they're connected to them virtually because all of those smaller organizations need a place to refer refer their sick or patient. Yeah. Right? If somebody comes in and it's not something that we can provide for, um, we would send them to a larger organization. Um, and not only that, I mean, uh, I know it was true at North Country in our emergency department. We provide, we do use a lot of telehealth services, if you will. Um, so if, if there's somebody in our emergency department and they have something where we need some expert advice, we would connect with Dartmouth or UVM or another tertiary care center to get some guidance for our patients 
Um, we also don't staff our pharmacy or our radiology department um, throughout those those overnight hours. We use remote services to do that. So all of that becomes gone when you don't when you don't have your network available. I I can see excuse me I can see where this gets to be a challenge. My understanding is that cybersecurity is expensive to really do it right and that it's worth the investment. But how can smaller and rural hospitals come up with this money? And did you ask the committee for money for funding for this? Was that your request? That was one of my requests. <laughs> I asked them for two things. And one of the first thing that I asked them for is to set some minimum standards for cybersecurity. And the reason I asked for that is because, you know, we've been talking for eight, 10 years about here's the guidance, here's what you should be doing. But as long as it's not something, here's what you have to do, um, there's an option for them to say, you know, I'm choosing um, something, some other priority um, over my cybersecurity needs. But the second thing I asked them for is minimum standards with some subsidies, grants, some funding mechanism to help these small, small organizations address the standards that they set. So um, I think it's a, it's a two-part ask that I presented um, there. Well, there was a couple of other things. We can talk about that after. <laughs> um, was the committee receptive to funding? I think that invariably every senator on that committee understood the struggles that their their own states have for their small and rural organizations. And I think it further um, brought that fact home with the D.C. health attack that actually attacked their own records um, just about, the I think it was the week prior to the committee meeting. So I think um, they fully understood the need to prioritize cybersecurity and the struggles that these small organizations have. So um, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, they'll they'll come up with some action um, very quickly on this on this matter. Well, I was going to ask where it goes from here. You you testified before the U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. Where does it go from here? Are they putting out a bill, is, or is it just more testimony going forward? Well, I think they've had testimony. Uh, you know, for probably I think there was some in 2021 and again in 2022. Um, there were different groups that testified, um, and and I think their their message was invariably was was pretty much the same. We need to prioritize this. Um, I have a lot of hope that they're going to um, come up with some sort of bipartisan measure. Um, Senator Warner's um, paper on on cybersecurity is patient safety. I think kind of stirred stirred that up among Congress, and and we'll see what comes out. Um, hopefully, they'll have something forthcoming in the next um, quarter. That's my hope. Uh, let's hope so. We're, uh, stay tuned on that. Um, you said you wanted to mention a couple of other asks that you had. Um, one of the other things I asked was um, that they they have a more coordinated governmental approach. So there are, there are a large number of different organizations within the federal government that are that are working on this issue. And what happens when when there's too many um, hands in the pot, if you will? Um, there's not good coordination and understanding about healthcare specific needs with all of these different organizations. So I asked them to to 
to coordinate better with HHS so that they fully understood the healthcare specific needs when addressing cyber um, within this particular sector. Excellent. Go ahead. My other one thing that I asked for was, you know, when these hospitals are attacked, and it's going to be a matter of, I don't know how many will, will be attacked this year, but, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about is how impactful it is to those particular facilities. And I asked if they could uh, develop a cyber-specific relief fund um, as part of FEMA. So if a hospital gets attacked, if there's some place where they can um, report the attack and get some immediate assistance from the federal government in, in you know, whether it's guidance or, and, and people to stand alongside those facilities to help them get back to, to normal and some, some funding to, to ensure that that attack isn't the last straw um, for those organizations that they can continue functioning post-attack. Did you get any feedback on that with the FEMA? Um, not specifically, just kind of thank you for your yes for your recommendation. <laughs> so hopefully they'll take it all into consideration and come up with something that's comprehensive and um, something that can be implemented rather quickly. Thank you so much, Kate. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. 